Welcome back, Scorpions, to another episode of Educational Monday. I am your host, Carlos Navarro, and today I'm here with Dr. Laura Nauman. Dr. Nauman is an Associate Professor of Psychology and is currently serving as the Faculty Senate Chair for Nevada State College. Laura, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Carlos. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here with you and your listeners. Thank you. Uh, I always love to ask before we get started, what is your educational background experience? What has that journey looked like for you? Sure. Um, I'm originally from Houston, Texas, and um, I grew up uh, as a only child to a family where my parents were uh, separated at the time. And when it was time for me to start thinking about college, I remember that I was just drawn to the sunny skies of California, and I really wanted to leave Texas and, and go explore. So I tried applying uh, to lots of different places that were not in Texas. But, um, you know, as it sometimes happens, uh, you don't have the necessary mon- money or funds to go do those things, or you don't get the necessary scholarship uh, and funding packages that allow you to do that. So I ended up going to um, my state institution, which was the University of Texas at Austin. And again, a, a really great experience. But I always like to tell students that when I was applying to college, I didn't realize that there were smaller schools like Nevada State. I went to a really big Um, At the time, I think it was one of the largest universities in the nation. I mean, I was in classes that had anywhere from 100 to 500 people. And it was, again, a really fun experience. But, um, you know, now that I'm an instructor at Nevada State and I know that the the climate can look a little bit different, I I sometimes wonder what my experiences would have been like had I selected a different place for college. But I really enjoyed my time there. And while I was there, I, like many students, tried to figure out what was next after college. And um, I've always had a love for learning. And I had a really great uh, faculty advisor. Um, In fact, he was my uh, instructor for personality psychology, which, as we might explore in a little bit, is what I study. And uh, he helped me look at pathways um, in terms of what I could do to study that. And that involved going to graduate school. And so I didn't know anything about what a PhD was, um, but I knew that that was kind of the next step. And so again, with his help, uh, I was able to apply and gain acceptance to UC Berkeley. So I did finally get to go to California, to the Bay Area, to my dream school. And so that's where I got my PhD uh, in a joint program that studies both social and personality psychology. But uh, I, I technically identify as a personality psychologist. That's amazing. Talk about the journey of picking a particular area in psychology because there's so many awesome areas. What did you find as a connection? Absolutely. Um, You know, like many students, uh, your kind of initial exposure or understanding of what psychology is has to do with kind of abnormal psychology or mental health issues. And that was really true for me. You know, I had several uh, people in my family, including my mother, who struggled with uh, various mental health disorders. Uh, My mom had bipolar disorder. And as a young child, I didn't really understand what that was and how that impacted her behavior. And when I, you know, when it was time to go to college, I knew that that was something I wanted to know more about. And so I definitely went into psychology thinking that I would become a a counselor or a therapist. And I did take those classes and I enjoyed them, but they were also in some ways frightening because I was like, man, this is a really heavy, intense thing. Um, You know, and again, there's a spectrum of of severity for people. And then I started taking the other classes as you kind of have to for your degree. And I realized, oh, psychology is about 
a number of different things, studying children, studying the brain, studying, um, you know, people in interactions. And again, I, I highly credit my undergraduate advisor, Sam Gosling. He was my um, instructor for personality assessment. And again, I didn't even know that that was something that was done in psychology. And while I was in the class, we learned so much about ourselves. We took personality inventories. We took pictures of our rooms and things that we liked um, to, to illustrate how we how we express our personalities in daily life. And I just found that so interesting. It really spoke to me. And then I realized I was like, this is something that I could do in the long term. This is a part of psychology. Uh, that was super exciting for me. And so, you know, when I meet with students, I always try to ask, you know, what have been your favorite classes in, you know, if, if you're a psych major, what classes have really gotten you super excited? Um, and, you know, that's why we really try to encourage students to take as many different classes as possible because you don't know what you don't know until you get exposed to it. And so I feel really fortunate that I, you know, signed up for the class, got in um, and learned that there were there were alternative pathways. So that's amazing. And yeah, it's always it's the journey. I love what you said right there in terms of, you know, it's about diving into those different areas and and kind of exploring what, what you connect with. And, and I was sort of reading a little bit of your your bio, just doing a little Google search. And, uh, you know, one of the things that it seems like has influenced your decision also going to psychology was uh, having uh, multiple identities. And and so can you talk to, to our students a little bit about that and how that may have also impacted not only your choice of going into psychology, but succeeding through college or at least the exploration, uh, personal, the personal exploration during that phase? Absolutely. Um, this is an area that I really enjoy talking about, again, because it's very personal for me. But it, as you mentioned, I think it speaks to a lot of students. You know, I'll start by talking about my cultural background. So, um, you know, my my last name, Nauman, is actually German. And I'm going to butcher it, but I believe the correct German pronunciation would be like Naumann or something. <laughs> again, I'm I, not, I don't identify culturally as German, but I, I recognize that that's part of my heritage. Um, but I'm actually, I kind of identify as biracial or, um, you know, bicultural. Um, my other uh, important identity to myself is my Mexican or Latina identity. My mom is, um, uh, I'm actually not sure what generation. I think she might be second or third generation Mexican-American, but um, her family comes from a lot of strong um, Latina women. Um, and my dad is actually half German and half Mexican. His mom is Mexican as well. He had a unique identity um, development himself, uh, his mother really downplayed her, her Mexican identity. She experienced a lot of discrimination. She was raised in the 1920s, um, and that was something that she learned to try to minimize. And for anyone who has studied things like um, racial or ethnic identity development, um, there's lots of different processes for coming to terms or acceptance of one's own identity, and that often interacts with how people see you. So, for example, um, skin tone actually plays a really important factor. If you have lighter skin and you're able to pass or maybe more racially ambiguous, um, you might be able to navigate certain situations differently than if you have darker skin. And so I know your listeners are, are listening here, but if you look me up, um, my, my skin tone's a little bit darker. And that has always created, um, as a child, a lot of I don't know if strife is the right word, but challenges for me to understand my identity because one other component that I think um, is important for me and how I've, I've come to understand and accept my identity is that when I was little, I didn't learn Spanish. And so it 
has always been a challenge because people see me and they presume, again, I don't think it's an erroneous assumption based on my appearance, but to assume that I speak Spanish. And so um, all of that was swirling through my brain um, growing up. Uh, I also mentioned that my parents divorced. So it was an issue of identifying with the mother or the father and how does that all play in. Um, so when I got to college, again, it was through classes like my sociology and psychology classes that helped me understand society, the labels that society gives, how that can shape a person's thinking about themselves. Um, and so it was a journey, as we've mentioned. I think that's a really great theme um, for the for the tone of this podcast or this, this episode um, is thinking about what that journey looked like for me. Um, and uh, I feel very strongly identified. Um, and, you know, that in, involves like how I think about the world, what I teach, what I want students to take away. I'm very focused on, you know, fighting for um, equity and equality. Um, and uh, it's just, it's been so important in, in shaping who I am, both as a person, but also my teaching and research identity as well. That's great. And I, I, I could, I think it's a testament to who you are because, you know, faculty Senate, you're, you're battling those, uh, you know, the equity perspective of how do we best support our students. And I see you actively engaged with legislators in, in, in Nevada and keeping us in the loop. So I appreciate your work on that because it's clearly, you could see how that journey is connected to the now because you're so actively engaged and with that and our students. So appreciate you fighting for our students here in Nevada State College. Well, thank you. That's uh, I, I really appreciate that. Um, uh, it's it's something again. We'll just keep fighting the good fight. So thank you for acknowledging and recognizing that. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah. As your journey moves, you've moved to Nevada State College. What have been some of the subjects you teach in psychology? Sure. Um, so uh, as I mentioned, my 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 uh, doctoral degree is kind of a joint degree in social and personality psychology. Fun fact, I actually haven't taught social psychology since I've been at Nevada State. We have some really my colleague, uh, Dr. Chantel Marshall, that's her kind of uh, bread and butter specialty. So um, I, I haven't taught that, but I could. But um, personality uh, psychology is um, my expertise. I really tried to follow suit uh, from the class that I took in my undergrad. And so students who take that class with me will get the experience of taking um, validated personality surveys and doing a portfolio of themselves, or they can even use those concepts to quote unquote, analyze um, another person. Um, I often do a lot of the kind of prerequisite classes for the psychology major. So I do intro. Uh, research methods is one of my favorite classes to teach. I know that the word research is sometimes a, a scary word or a triggering word for some students, but I really try to make it um, something that's approachable and exciting. And, um, you know, when I have taught that class, I the final project is to give students an opportunity to conduct an unobtrusive observational study where they get to go out into the community, observe people and basically take note and keep track of data that we can then analyze and try to draw conclusions from. So that's another favorite class that I really enjoy. Um, I also teach the uh, advanced methods capstone class. So once students get to the end of their degree program, um, one of the capstone options is to design your own study, collect, analyze data, and present it uh, in a conference style poster. And then one last class that I'll plug, which I just very recently um, prepped, or I should say two classes that are, are I think, great um, 
classes that can kind of go hand in hand. One is psych of inequality, and then the other is the psychology, psychology and the legal system. And both of those classes, I would say, are very social justice oriented in terms of helping students understand why there are systems uh, that maintain inequality for different groups. And then obviously the psych and the legal system class is very much focused on those inequities in the criminal justice system. Um, so I have a wide range, uh, again, of, of, of interests, and uh, I always try to bring that interest and excitement to the classroom. And I do that with bringing fun videos, current events, uh, to, to really try to help um, students make that connection to um, their daily life. That's wonderful. I know this is going to be a tough question. What, what, which of the subjects, the classes that you've taught over the past has been your, your favorite? Oh, gosh. Like I said, this is this has been a hard one. I think um, ultimately it's it's not students pop most fav favorite class, but I really enjoy teaching research methods. Um, I similarly as a student, as an undergraduate student, the word frightened me and it was something that I was like, I don't think I want to do. And then when I finally again, explored it and tried it and got my hands dirty. I said, this is actually kind of cool. I really like it. And so to get to spark that um, interest, even if it's just for the class, even if a student doesn't go on to graduate school to do research or get a PhD, um, I like that excitement that students get when they run their statistical tests and they're like, oh my gosh, it's significant. I found something. Um, I just really enjoy that element um, that that students gain from that and they realize it's not as scary um, as they thought it was. And some, like I said, do come around and say like, oh, I didn't know this was a thing and I think I want to do it and I think I want to study it. So I love all of my classes. It's almost like you're asking me to pick my favorite child. <laughs> um, I, I think there's elements from all of them that I absolutely love and adore, but um, I really enjoy those methods classes a lot. Appreciate it. Yeah, I know that. I know it's one of the difficult questions, I'm sure, for many faculty. Uh, so I appreciate you answering that. And you know, it's kind of a perfect segue because uh, you know, part of part of this uh, starting the podcast, you, you, we were talking about research experience that you provide to students. And so, can you talk a little bit about the the sort of? I'm assuming this is sort of the out of the classroom experience, right? The students. At, okay. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about that? Absolutely. So um, uh, I'll give a few kind of contextual features um, first. So at Nevada State, um, again, we're a relatively small faculty in psychology. Um, the, the What sets Nevada State uh, apart or different from institutions like UNLV or University of Nevada, Reno, is that we're considered a more teaching oriented institution. So we really value that our instructors are good teachers in the classroom, but that we also expect them to do their own research and scholarship outside of the class, but not to the same degree that a faculty member at a place like UNLV would do. So I, I'll first acknowledge that the number of research opportunities that we have here at Nevada State, we do have some, but they're far more limited than if you were a student at a larger research institution like UNLV. So um, all, all of the faculty are, are trying to do their own scholarship and will usually involve uh, students as research assistants um, when they have a project going. And so that's why I said in any given semester, some faculty might have a need for uh, research assistance and others don't. So since I've been at Nevada State, I've had a few different projects where I've brought students on to help me um, conduct that research. And so what that can look like as a research assistant is to anywhere from helping me find um, empirical articles using Google Scholar, um, summarizing them, you know, identifying key findings from past research to helping me design um, 
the methods and materials I need to run a study. And I think what sometimes um, is tricky for students uh, to understand, psychology is still a science. I know we're not a, a, a science like chemistry where we have Bunsen burners and, and test tubes, but we study people. And so our the people or the things that we need to conduct our research are spaces and people to be our participants. And so um, I've had my research uh, participants help run uh run people or run participants to collect data. I've had them um, read responses and code for themes from what people have said on surveys. Um, and then ultimately, the ultimate goal is to get to analyze data and then present it at a conference. And so I, I really try to give my research assistants the kind of full lay of the land, anywhere from pulling articles, summarizing them to data um, collection and analysis. And the, the ultimate uh, opportunity for students is to get to go and present at a conference. And obviously with COVID, um, that looks a little bit different these days, but more and more conferences are, are doing virtual options. So the students still do have that opportunity to create their poster and, and share those results with others in that format. Oh, yeah, I know that particularly with students considering grad school, research is uh, something that I would argue that the majority of graduate schools are looking at. So when should students consider starting doing research? That is, that's the million dollar question, or it's a very important question. And I would say as early as, as possible. And uh, I haven't taught research methods in the last year or so, but that was usually the place where I would try, try to recruit students. And, and students typically take that intro methods like in their sophomore year. And if you are hoping to go the whole way, like Dr. Nauman's journey to, to PhD, we would encourage you to, again, start as early as possible because research assistant um, assistantships really are the golden ticket in terms of demonstrating um, your preparedness to be a graduate student. That's all, I don't want to say that's all you'll be doing, but that is the bulk of, of your time spent as a graduate student is conducting research. And when, um, you know, uh, faculty mentors and advisors are reviewing those applications. That's what they're looking for. So the earlier, the better. Um, but I always like to say it's never too late. Uh, even if it's your senior year, we can still start exploring opportunities. Uh, I will just, you know, give the caveat that depending on the type of program that you want to apply to. If it's really competitive and you don't have enough experience yet, that just means that we're going to have to maybe delay applying or try to find opportunities to, again, boost boost those credentials that, that you need. Um, but we, again, I, when possible, I'll try to take as many students as I can, but, um, you know, we're all limited. So that's why the earlier you can, you can find us or take a class with us, uh, uh, the better chance you'll have to get those opportunities. And I know that in, in addition to the research component and of course, maintaining your degree, you know, extracurriculars are so important, right? And, and that can mean so many things across the board, you know, in our office, that's what we encourage students is to, to build community and, and enjoy sort of the collegiate experience. And you have been a great ally in that and encouraging students to, to be active members, whether if it's for NSSA or uh, other events on campus. Um, can you talk a little bit about that? Perhaps like, you know, why, why is that important for someone to sort of think out outside of research and academics and, and become sort of um, almost like generalists in life, right? The importance of, of that part. There are a few reasons to get involved in extracurricular activities. And I think uh, I'll just 
plug the one that's most relevant to psychology, which is our Psychi Honor Society. Even if you aren't formally inducted, they are doing lots of really great programming anywhere from academics of, you know, developing your um, CV, which is like your academic resume, to doing philanthropic work out in the community. And um, again, I would plug not only participating, but at some point in your academic career, trying to run for a cabinet position. Um, those taking on a leadership role is really important. You develop um, really important skills anywhere from time management. It could be learning how to do publicity through the kind of online software. Social media is a huge thing. Lots of employers are looking for that ability to do social media. So on the one hand, you get some really important tangible skills that are uh, great for when you go into the workforce. The other is networking, um, getting to meet um, other students or faculty who could potentially connect you uh, in areas um, that you're interested in. Um, I will be the first to admit I have a little bit of social anxiety. I know that seems weird because I'm generally a very extroverted person, but even I get nervous uh, talking to new people. And so I, that's probably one of my least favorite things to do is networking because of that um, kind of social anxiety that I have. But I can't tell you how it's, it's, it's the reality that if you know people, you get doors open to you that don't get open to others because you might be in the right place or the right time. And so that's another really important um, thing that could happen by participating in, in these. And I would say the last thing is just for the fun and the enjoyment um, of being among other people who share the same interest as you. Um, I know that I met some of my closest friends through those opportunities, um, not because they were in my major or in my class, but because we had those shared interests. So um, I'm a avid, I will always encourage people to participate um, and, and get involved in those things. Uh, I, I think, again, there's lots of benefits uh, from uh, participating in extracurricular activities. Yeah. I, I, so on the theme of uh, networking, I, I know it's particularly in the field of psychology, that is uh, definitely pretty much any field, I would probably argue that networking is important. Do you have maybe like a few tips that has helped you navigate it or have maybe other colleagues or students that have been successful in that networking? Like where, where do they start and how maybe how do they get to know themselves before, you know, going out in the networking field? Sure. And again, I'll just preface by saying that um, it's easier to give the advice than it is to sometimes kind of walk that walk because like I said, I, I have my own element of uh, social anxiety in these types of situations. But, you know, as an under, undergraduate, uh, if you are someone that has been able to get involved either through sci or um, doing undergraduate research, you will likely have the opportunity to go to professional conferences in psychology. The one that I typically take my students to is called the Western Psychological Association, and they usually rotate their conferences all along the West Coast. And um, at poster sessions, you're typically standing by your poster and people from all over the region are coming to check out your work. So I would counsel students to potentially make business cards or have an example of their poster that has their email address on it um, to start that connection. Another really, uh, I guess, important and also new way is through social media. Um, I definitely have tried to up my Twitter game um, as a faculty member, uh, and uh, I am not someone who's kind of counting my followers, but I do know that as you build that following, your, your information, your ideas get out further, and that that 
I've, I've had people contact me through Twitter to say, hey, will you do an interview with our newspaper? Will you participate in this? So um, again, I, I, I resisted. I resisted that, that kind of pathway. But um, I think Twitter and, and the other um, Instagram and other social media platforms um, are a really new way to potentially gain attention, not only to get your ideas out, but to connect with others. So those are just a few ways, um, you know, obviously just feeling comfortable talking to people, uh, especially when they seem to be interested, you know, get that courage to go talk to your favorite uh, faculty member or, or psychology professor that you meet at a conference. Wonderful. Thank you for for that tip. I know that that's something that students struggle with uh, in general, too, because it's, it's such a new territory, especially if, if, you know, students that are going from the high school to college, uh, your tips are, are going to be really helpful for our students. I appreciate you sharing that. Uh, so this month is Women's History Month, and you know this is something that uh, our, our well, I think NSC for the last couple of years are doing the second annual uh, Women's History Month. They have a series of events, and so uh, I do want to kind of ask more fun questions as we kind of move forward through this podcast. And one in particular, in the theme of his Women's History Month, is there someone in particular that uh, has impacted you uh, on a personal basis or even in the, your career? Again, this is such a hard question to narrow down to just, you know, one or even two two women. Um, I'll start by saying uh, to, to kind of um, preview who I'll, I'll, I'll present as some of the kind of inspirational women um, that I have had a journey, again, there's that word again, in terms of my own identity as a woman, as a woman of color, as someone who has a, a little bit of social anxiety in situations, um, to create space for me to, to, to have the comfort to speak up, to fight for the things that are important to me. Um, in psychology, there's a lot of research showing that strong, independent women receive a lot of backlash because they go against the stereotype for women who are expected to be warm and kind and motherly. And so um, the, the women who inspire me are those women who stand up for themselves, who fight for um, what they believe in and do it unapolog- unapologetically. And they still get criticized, but they dust themselves the dust themselves off and keep going. So I've lately, again, um, the, the political season I know has kind of wrapped up, but it's it's still very salient for me. So um, a lot of the uh, women who've been in politics, and I think the kind of big one that was uh, so important for me was uh, uh, Hillary Clinton, uh, especially when she was running, uh, but to see how she has paved the way for other really strong independent women in politics, including uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, um, obviously Kamala Harris is our um, now uh, vice president, um, but there's some other really great uh, women coming up through the ranks. I'm really impressed with Katie Porter. If you haven't seen her, she's, she's the woman who has the whiteboard. And again, schools, uh, people, she goes to town on them in terms of, you know, she's highly intelligent and has lots of uh, ideas and, and, and can break down arguments for people who, again, are trying to, you know, be sneaky or, or get away with things. So those are just a few of the examples of, of women who I am inspired by and, and feel reinvigorated by when I see them um, doing amazing things. And like I said, shaking the haters off uh, when, when they get criticized. Um, it gives me the strength and power to, to, to do that in my own work. So love it. Yeah. I love the folks that you mentioned there and it's so lovely to, for us, I mean, to kind of have those conversations on our campus and to, to recognize, right. And, and in that recognition, we've also not only done uh, recognizing folks 
outside of our campus of, you know, amazing women that have done great work um, across the nation, but even we've also highlighted women within NSC. Is there someone that uh, motivates you within NSC that you would like to maybe give a, a shout out to? Oh, there's so many amazing women on campus. I mean, obviously, uh, I love working with my colleagues in psychology. Again, you know, I've mentioned that we're a smaller institution and we just work together so well. We put our minds to it and we we go out to accomplish things. Um, there's uh, some funny um, memes out there. I think, again, one of Hillary Clinton with her looking at her smartphone and the tagline is always, you know, pardon, pardon the turn of phrase, but bitches get shit done. And so uh, sorry to use a curse word. But uh, again, that that's the kind of thing that motivates me, because, like I said, however people perceive us, we we are here to, to do good things and to do that work. So I give a shout out to my 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 uh colleagues in psych. Um, other people, again, I've always been um, inspired and uh, again, see her as a mentor, uh, which is Eddie Fernandez, um, who is our uh, vice president of college and community engagement. And so again, she started uh, very shortly after I came to Nevada State. And um, it's always a pleasure to see another woman of color at the, at the top ranks uh, of an institution. So I always look to her for, for advice and, and counsel and support. And so I'm thank, so thankful to have her, um, her guidance. Um, so those are just a few people, but again, there's, there's lots of amazing women on campus and I am so honored to be working alongside them all for the same mission. Couldn't agree more. Now, on the continuation of Nevada State College, what is uh, something, I think, you know, we talked about your experience in undergrad and, and graduate school. How does Nevada State College differ in those? What are so, what are those strengths that we have on our campus? I think it's, it's nice for students to get a different perspective, I think. Uh, you know, some of them navigate the college experience on their own, but it's always nice to have someone who went to different institutions to kind of shine on why NSC is so awesome. Sure. You know, I know that we don't don't have, you know, a big sports team to rally around, but I think, you know, where we might not, you know, follow traditional uh, campuses, what I think we do have that, like I said, I did not experience as an undergrad was small class sizes. The fact that you get to take multiple classes with your favorite instructors. You know, I used to joke about making little um, buttons for students who took all the classes with me. I was like, you're a third timer, a fourth timer. Um, that I, as an instructor, really get to know students because they have that ability to take multiple classes with me. And just as a plug, you know, thinking about applying for jobs or applying for graduate school, at some point, you do need to seek faculty references or letters of recommendation. And a, a faculty can give you a stronger recommendation if they know you more than just one semester. And so that is definitely the one benefit that, again, I, I realize that if students haven't had that exposure in a different, um, you know, if they haven't transferred or come from another university, they might not know what it's like at other places. And it's a, it's a big value uh, that I think Nevada State has and that, um, you know, I've heard people use the term family feel. And I think that is absolutely a great way to characterize what it's like on campus. Um, again, just as an example, I was a number in a huge lecture class when I was an undergrad. Again, I, I still learn things and I still value my experience there, but I didn't know that there were places that had small classes that I could have taken multiple classes with the same instructors that, um, you know, I, it, that was just the function of, of what I was exposed to when I was in high school and when it came time to go to college, those are that's what how it happened. But um, our students are really lucky, I think. And uh, I hope that, um, you know, 
again, they they fulfill that way too, because um, I always feel it, and I'm very thankful for that experience here. Thank you. And and one one of the one of the things one of our goals with the podcasting is to also humanize faculty. Uh, we want students to feel a connection to faculty and feel comfortable enough to reach out to faculty. And so, uh, you know, my question to you is, what are some hobbies that you do that maybe some students or even faculty may not even know that you're into? Well, I think my faculty colleagues know because I don't, I don't, I'm not shy about it, but uh, I, I, I personally identify as a little nerdy and I really like anything having to do with games. I grew up as an only child and that was my way of getting attention either from other adults or other kids was to bring board games or card games. So I I love a good game night. Um, But one of my favorite things to do that has become relatively popular in recent years is something called escape rooms. And basically, again, in non-COVID times, you... um, There's places all over Las Vegas where they set up rooms that have themes anywhere from Harry Potter to, you know, um, dinosaur, whatever, whatever theme you could think of. There's probably a room out there and you basically have to solve puzzles and clues to escape the room. I know it's so nerdy, but uh, I, I love a good puzzle. I love Again, I think it's that love of learning. I love using my brain. I'm super competitive. People will tell you that. <laughs> so, um, you know, I've tried to attend as many of the virtual uh, events that you guys have been putting on. I did the virtual escape room with Dr. Marshall, and we've done some trivia games. So um, anything that is competitive, I'm, I'm down to do. Uh, and uh, I, I, like I said, I, I love that stuff. I'm not the most outdoorsy person. <laughs> I would just play games well into the night uh, if, if given the choice. Choice. I'll be the first to say um, that I've never done a room, but I've heard nothing, nothing but good things about doing an escape room. Uh, I heard it's great for communication, great for competitive spirit, just good, just community building with, with the folks you go with. Well, I'll offer. So for my husband's birthday, I made him an escape room in our house. Like I came up with the puzzles and wow. did it. So I'm happy to consult with NSSA if you guys decide, when, again, when it's safe to Absolutely. be in person again, um, to design a on-campus escape room, you know, again, temporary, but uh, they're super fun. I would love to do it. That's that's amazing. Um, well, that concludes our podcast today. Um, you know, Laura, thank you so much for joining us on this podcast. And I absolutely love hearing your journey, hearing about how much you love escape rooms and, and the research opportunities and all the great tips you gave to our students. So I, I really appreciate uh, you coming onto the podcast today. Well, thank you so much for having me. And again, I know we're still kind of in virtual land, but when people are back on campus, my office is on the first floor of the KAB. So don't hesitate to swing by and stop by. You don't have to be a psych major. I'm happy to talk about reality TV, escape rooms, celebrity gossip, anything. So uh, don't be a stranger. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. And-